welcome to Ops in Lockdown. This week we'll be talking to Sarah Elton Wall and our chosen subject is the venue dynamic. Hello and welcome to Ops in Lockdown for another week. Um, I wanted to start this one off uh, slightly differently because um, I don't know about you but every time I look at my LinkedIn feed I see as another story another mention about somebody who's lost their job or whose business is going under. Um, and I just wanted to just talk for a couple of minutes, uh, forgive me, <laughs> about um, everybody's mental health, uh, because whether that is affecting you directly um, or you are in an industry as we are, where, where people that we love and care for um, and spend a lot of our time with are going through horrible times and us as individuals um, also going through uncertainty in our home lives and in our careers and in our businesses. I just wanted to um, mention a couple of things. First of all, um, obviously we live in a world where everything looks perfect so I just wanted to show you, um, Joe's going to pop it on, that mine is not perfect. <laughs> so. We've made, just moved out of our office, which I'm gutted about because I love my office. And this is my um, my spare bedroom <laughs> with um, a desk that's too big for it that I can't bear to get rid of from the amazing office that I've got. It's a cocktail cabinet. It doesn't fit in my spare room. I don't even know what I'm going to do. But I just thought it was quite a good representation of just how messed up this whole situation is and what we're all having to adapt to in our day-to-day -day lives so yeah there's my um my kind of stepson's bed bed over in the corner um an electric bike that doesn't work and a cocktail cabinet and and it obviously looks far different than what you see um with the other view which we're going to go back to now we all know that but i just thought even if it just helps one person who might think that i've got anything in order to realise that we don't, <laughs> um, then that's a positive thing. The second thing I wanted to mention, uh, we just started getting involved in an organisation called EventWell that are offering free support um, in mental health to anybody in our community. Um, so if you are struggling, give them a shout. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is um, Kerry uh, Kemp from Informa just sent me an email um, a couple of weeks ago and just goes, you overdoing it. That was all I needed to kind of go, shit, actually, I probably am and I need to take a bit of time just for a bit of self-care. So, so also just a note to everybody, what I love about seeing all your wonderful faces is that there are so many people around us, some you may not have known at the beginning of this, and all that you all it can take sometimes is for you to just go, are you all right? Um, and it sees something off at the past, and it certainly did for me. So um, forgive my little um, deviation from topic there, but I just thought I know a lot of our peers are, are facing um, consultations on redundancy and stuff at the moment, and if that's you, this you know everyone in this group I hope would be there to support you. Um, and if it isn't you, then you're still being affected. Um, and you can still help. Uh, so that's all I'll say on that point for now. We've got something about redundancies a bit later as well. 
So this is a session. Um, Gillian obviously couldn't make it, so we've got the delightful Sarah instead. Sarah and I are ex-colleagues, um, so I'm really happy that she's able to join us. Um, Sarah heads up the venue management team at Olympia. Um, now the, the venues are the kind of third arm of the trilogy of sectors, um, and sometimes their approach can be a little bit my way or the highway. Um, which we're going to talk a little bit about in this session as well. Having worked at a venue, I understand the pain points um, of everything that they deal with, um, of having highly competent organisers coming through, highly incompetent organisers coming through their buildings, and just the sheer volume of clients that they have to manage through almost like a bit of a machine sometimes if it's a high capacity venue. Um, obviously the venue dynamic uh, thing has cropped up in quite a few of our sessions um, so far, so it's a great opportunity if you've thought of anything you'd like to ask relating ven to venues, then uh, pop it in the chat. Um, and just to summarise why we picked this topic, uh, we are here to broaden our knowledge. Um, a competent person is somebody who's got a broad um, basis and understanding of all the bits of the jigsaw that we all have to work with and work around um, and that, so that's why we're here. So welcome Sarah. Well Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for your time. Pleasure. Are you well? Yeah, all well over here. Thank you. And thanks very much for that important message at the start. It's uh, yeah, really pertinent at this time. So thank you. Well, always a pleasure to be to be the talker of doom and gloom. <laughs> right, so we're, we're going to start off with an easy one that's very Olympia related. So for those of you that don't work in Olympia, um, I'll, I'll do a bit of a preface. Um, obviously, Olympia is going through a lot of redevelopment at the moment. Um, finally got all that planning permission through um, and you're cracking into the next phase. So what on earth is happening now, now that COVID has? Yeah, so um, the redevelopment project has, has started in earnest. Um, the works are currently focused in L Yard, for those of you that know the site. Uh, we're building a new energy centre there and also a new goods lift for the Grand Hall. And in the last few weeks, we've also given the West Hall over to the project works in its entirety for a period of time. So uh, there are changes afoot in that space too. Um, COVID has sadly brought our events calendar to a halt. Uh, one small positive to come out of it is that the redevelopment works have been able to continue with reduced restrictions in that they're not having to work around the event operation at the moment. So, that's allowed them to, to gain a bit of momentum. But uh, yeah, all good. So obviously they had to go through that additional period of readjustment to allow for them to work within social distancing measures. Mm. But the government has been very supportive of the construction industry and um, our relationship with the local borough has helped us to speed up some items such as road closures, um, during this quiet time, which has also helped with the momentum. Um, right. Most of the Olympia team have been working remotely since the start of lockdown. So I've only seen pictures myself, but it looks great and I'm itching to get back and, and see it in person. Yeah, 
So does this mean it's going to be finished early? <laughs> um, unfortunately not, no. Uh, to add to a bit of balance to that, there's obviously still application processes and lead times that are associated with goods and services that remain unchanged. So um, we are on track, but unfortunately we're not going to have it ready for you two years early, I'm afraid. Damn, okay. <laughs> nice out the window then. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think are going to be the key areas uh, that organisers will need to embrace uh, during that kind of redevelopment process? So I think for me, the, uh, the three key areas that stand out are um, communication, floor plans and scheduling. Mm -hmm. um, we're all going to need to challenge that same as last year mindset, which sometimes comes with established shows at the venue. Um, because things aren't going to be the same as last year. Um, events have moved in our calendar and phasing is going to be different to normal in some circumstances. Mm. Um, floor plans, our floor plans are going to see a lot of changes during this time. Um, so we're currently producing time slice floor plans and talking to drawing offices and organisers to ensure that everyone's using an accurate plan, which is applicable to the dateline of their events. Um, so before, you, before you go on, talk us through the time slice floor plans. So at the moment, we are working in three month time slices. Um, so we're looking at changes in the two bigger halls in the Grand and National sort of every three months. Um, right. We get into next year that might become a bit more frequent um so yeah it's really it's really critical that organizers are working from the right floor plan from the right. get-go um, and as soon as we can have a look at those floor plans to feed into it the better really because we recognize that asking for changes once a floor plan is sold is um problematic so yeah floor plans yeah. So it be, um, I mean, obviously it's hard for everyone at the moment who's trying to redraw floor plans based on and the new set of parameters post-COVID anyway, but does that kind of help? Everything's thrown up in the air anyway with that kind of same approach to last year. I don't think there's any event that's going to happen that's got the same approach anymore, is it? Absolutely, and I think that's one thing that's going to come out of this situation is we're going to, we're all going to have to rethink how we do things and, and why we're going to do things and why we do mm. things. And I'm not mm. a good thing to challenge how we do things and if there's a better way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, some of what one of the shows that um, well, a couple of the shows that we've um, we do or have done have required really deep micro scheduling kind of say slicing slicing things, you know, this way and that way kind of so you've got you've got your days and your times. Um, but you might also slice kind of when AV can come in, when furniture can come in and, and, and almost just do it on an every block basis. Um, yeah. I do think one of the show that we do that on, we're looking at what changes we'll have to make post COVID. And actually we were already part, you know, part way down at least the line with some of them as it won't be a massive shock, but for some of the smaller events, it definitely takes on a different challenge, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah, of course, of course. And again, that's why sort of that early communication is key that we get operation, operational logistics on the table at the earliest opportunity so we can maybe mm -hmm. support some of those shows 
that aren't used to doing it through that process yeah or or just there's never be really been the need for i mean some of our shows you kind of go we've got it on our list to have certain meetings or certain conversations that especially for those events that do it the same way every time and it's a bit of a formula kind of event you kind of lose that need as much to do it i think it's those shows that are going to have the different approach most of all absolutely and uh, and that's sort of what i'm referring to when I say managing that same as last year mentality, that um, mm. we, we really are going to have to do that, as you say, on a lot of on a lot of levels. Mm, definitely. Right. So, where do you feel that venues could add the most value um, to customers in post-COVID events? Um, and I guess where I'm leading with this one is um, kind of how do you see the grey area of the logistics um, kind of panning out and the relationship with the the rules and versus the commercials if you see what I mean that's a big question I can, I can break it down if you like yeah I think first and foremost we're um, completely committed to working with organizers to support the safe return of events and mm. um, this month we did release a document outlining the additional measures that we as a venue intend to put in place as a response to, to COVID-19 um, I think we recognise that one of the big questions that's going to come our way from the organising community is um, the requirement for extra time and for extra space, which, again, we're committed to, to helping where we can. Um, I think we very much see that as happening on a show-by-show -show basis. Um, a solution mm. is going to be quite bespoke depending on a, where the event sits in our calendar, i.e. is it in the middle of back-to-back -back tenancies? And if we're talking additional space, um, can that additional space be achieved by uh, staying in the same hall or are we going to have to look at, at other alternatives? So we're committed to doing what we need to do to work with organisers to get the events industry back on track again. But as I say, we, mm -hmm. we do see that as quite bespoke conversations. Yeah. And I think, so um, I don't know, I can't remember if I asked you this on the call earlier, but we, we talked about something similar at the AEO forum back in, um, back before all this started. Um, and we were talking to Tom from Excel. Um, and it is this, this gray area is where, um, is, is where people who have been in the industry long enough to know how to use it get the most benefit, obviously. You know, we, you know, we work really hard on that grey area. That's the, gray, that's the area that can, you can make a difference between a smooth put-in or, you know, or a shambles, if you see what I mean. Um, it's kind of making the most out of those relationships that an individual has with an individual. But... He was, he was kind of saying that's also where the problem is because not every event calendar runs the same every year, obviously. So what's available in the grey area, that grey area is grey because it can't be defined. Because one year it could be there and the next year it might not be there. Yeah. How do you even approach that? Absolutely. Um, again, it's sort of a broken record, but we're going back to that same as last year mentality and the need to get operational um, chat on the table at the earliest opportunity and I think one of the points that I want to address is trying to um, 
keep that venue ops relationship going throughout the year. I think we're probably at a point where the conversation tends to be focused in that six to 12 week lead up to an event. And I'd like to see that happening year round. So we're checking in all the time. Um, we're having debriefs after events and saying, you know, it's not just a debrief of that event, but actually it starts the next planning cycle. And we can bring to the table as far as we can possibly see in advance what organisers are, are going to be need to planning around. Yeah, do you know what? It's, it's happened so, it's come up in conversations so consistently over the last few months on these sessions. I don't see how we're going to come out of this without having debriefs back on the table and without having proper kind of stakeholder production meetings on the table as well. Um, I think what I need to do kind of at the end of this, when, you know, end of July is probably our last Opsin lockdown session, I think I'm going to go through all the, all, all the back catalogue and pick out the consistent things that potentially we have a, we, we can do without doing things in a few different ways. I think um, that, that Ops venue relationship can sometimes be quite, quite tricky, can't it? I don't, I, I often wonder whether it's the kind of, you know, going back to what I said on the intro, it's kind of the way of the highway. You know, ultimately, if you guys say no, it's very difficult to get that no overturned. Um, and sometimes the people saying no are quite um, inexperienced. Is that the right way to put it? <laughs> little? Um, <laughs> yes. Um look what do we do with that <laughs> there's obviously always more that we can do to invest in relationships and invest in understanding of the shows which i think i think the more we get to understand it the more that leads to greater flexibility um i know you and i spoke about potentially the e-guide being a source of frustration in that ops venue relationship. Um, and listen, I, I'm completely upholding the importance of the e-guide and its content and its aim to provide a consistent set of rules across its member venues. But I could also understand that what we encounter on the exhibition floor um, we're encountering scenarios that maybe aren't as clear-cut as that document would like them to be. Mm, yeah, I think sometimes they go, they go in, they don't just address the minimum standards. They, they almost want to use it as best practice. And, and best practice is tricky because that's very subjective. Kind of, whereas min, the absolute minimum standard um, is not always what the e-guide committee might want it to be <laughs> if, if it was minimum standard plus two extra layers maybe yeah yeah yes yeah <laughs> i'll take that on yeah. board and um, i think there was, <laughs> there was an element of um the more uh, experience you have and the more familiar you are with the document, the more you gain a deeper understanding of what those rules are based on. And that's potentially where a bit more flexibility comes in. Um, is, it, say, is another um, word for explaining that the deeper you read the document, the more loopholes you find? 
Uh, I couldn't possibly comment on that, Lou. Um, I think it's more, you know, you gain an understanding of, of what that rule is based upon. So, yeah, where, where the flexibility does come into that equation. Um, yeah. I think then you will sometimes find ourselves in the position that the onus is being put on us to find a solution if something isn't up to the required standard, which can also uh, put a strain on that ops venue relationship. Um, Very true. Yeah, and listen, as an alternative, I don't want to shy away from that. I think I'd like to see the venue being part of a discussion to find a solution. But actually, that discussion is going to involve input from, from multiple parties. Um, and I think it's also important to remember that the e-guide is reviewed on quite a regular basis. So if we are constantly coming up against stuff that doesn't, you know, genuinely doesn't work for us on the exhibition floor or there's an alternative way of doing something, then mm. let, let's not shy away from those conversations. Let's have them those into the agenda and actually that results in change and progression. Yeah, I think the, with, the, with um, the kind of event recovery group and, um, and the the collaboration of the three associations over the last few weeks that's been something that's been really positive like i've got a draft of of um of the incoming e-guide and and sent back a reasonably large list of of questions and comments and and kind of you know if this goes in this would be the result and are you sure you want to do that um, and that's that the e-guide committee has been quite a closed group until recently. Um, and I think about a year or so ago was the first time that a organizer and contractor representatives were allowed into the into the room, which is which is a massive, massive plus point, I think. I think to kind of going back to your um to what we were just saying about the the flip side. So sometimes organizers can and contractors can have problems with people going via a rule book so much that it doesn't have that flex in it. Um, but you, I, I completely get from when I worked at Olympia, God almighty, there are some organisers that are just stupid. <laughs> like, like how, I appreciate that for those people, the rule book really is necessary sometimes. I mean, you, I, I was gobsmacked, I think. Um, I think we've got a very privileged view of organisers uh, from from our peers and stuff. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's the spectrum. Um, yeah, <laughs> Do you know, what? I think it can also be quite a daunting thing as well, Lou. If you're a newcomer to the industry and you're presented with this, I don't know what it is now. Maybe a hundred and fifty page document saying that's the rules and regulations you've got to adhere to. That, that's a really daunting thing to get your head around um, and I think we probably need to take the fear factor away from that a little bit because I think probably people's go-to mm. position is I've got to be 100% compliance sort of initially when you're presented with that. Yeah I wonder if we need to do like you know um was that kind of um is it like the idiot's guide to the e-guide type thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a kind of um a shortened illustrated version yeah just pictures instead of words i've written it down going on the <laughs> list <laughs> and i can see kelly's face so she's well in for helping on this <laughs> you'll see you'll see kelly take her video off in a minute <laughs> <before she gets laughs> for anything else um, 
Um, obviously, uh, cleaning is going to uh, be a biggie in terms of your way, um, venue, where venues sit and stuff. Where do you even start on that one? How's that? How's the preparation on that side going? How many times can it surface? On the cleaning side of things, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we are developing our, uh, our policies around that and looking at technology which is going to be best suited to our operation. Um, you know, venues are, the expectation, quite rightly, is that venues enhance their, their cleaning regimes as a response to that. And I think that's going to be one of the most emotive points um, as and when we get people back into exhibition venues that everyone's going to want to see things you know, pristinely clean and that there's a, a real cleaning presence and that toilets are being cleaned regularly. So um, we are we are looking at all of that. We are um, increasing, we're going to look at increasing how often we, we clean toilets and touch points. Um, and I think one of the things as well is that a lot of our cleaning is done overnight at Olympia London. So if we do get into the realms of events needing to extend working hours, we still sort of need to put some parameters around the time that we have available to not only deliver the usual cleaning regime, but to try and enhance mm. that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? If you could say over the years that the venue have extracted themselves from as much responsibility as possible you know in terms of things like medical services or you know rooms or you know that kind of infrastructure traffic being outsourced when it used to be in-house and you know all those kind of things do you think covid's going to bring a bit of that back where you almost have to have service the additional services under your control um, cleaning obviously is is very much under your umbrella um do you think there'll be a shift in a different direction now um i don't know to be honest with you lou it's certainly not a discussion that's on the table at the moment um you know we sort of did establish some changes to certainly our medical as earlier on in the year before we went into lockdown we were having to we put additional measures into place to deal with uh, the emerging situation at that point but you know we're certainly not at a point of um looking at completely rewriting the operating manual at the moment that's not to say that things might as the situation evolves mm. uh, and you know with our, our track Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go on. As I say, with our traffic team, it's um, a team of people that work really regularly and closely within our venue. So yes, it is outsourced, but it's almost as if they are permanent members of staff in terms of how frequently they're at the venue and how much they, they know our operation. Mm. Yeah, thing of the thing of the I always think the commonality again, kind of going back to the grey areas. Commonality, I think, sits under a kind of grey area. Like, how do we move things in between two tenancies to smooth smooth the wheels almost? And I think a lot of those things, whether that's um, plant or you know the 
the infrastructure that every show needs to be able to run effectively um, at the moment doesn't really sit under the venue heading that maybe could going forward if um, if a venue needed to smooth that transition more clearly. Yeah. Um, I think this is probably a bigger conversation than just venues and mm. a conversation we would welcome uh, with organisers and contractors to see how it could work. Um, I think currently this type of request probably comes our way less often than you'd think, but it is something we will try and accommodate and work with when it does come our way. Um, mm. You know, I'm sure you're talking in wider brushstrokes than this, but, you know, for example, if you've got a shell contractor that's breaking down in a hall until 10 o'clock and building a show in that same hall for another client at 8 o'clock the next morning, obviously it benefits everyone for that stock to stay, stay on site, out of the way, you know. Um, it's, it's less vehicles going through our loading yards, it's less vehicles on the road, which is a Great from a sustainability perspective as well. So absolutely conversations that lead to greater efficiencies. Um, I think the two concerns that we would bring to the table are um, availability of space for keeping that stock on site um, and also liability. You know, where does liability and insurance um, sit in terms of stock staying on site outside of contracted event tenancies yeah yeah i agree we're like we're so short of time but i did i did nick those couple of minutes at the beginning so i'm going to ask one because i think it's really really important and kind of relates a little bit to what uh, pamela has kind of said about less experienced um, organizers kind of keeping their cards close to their chest uh, either for fear of judgment or you guys saying no or yeah. So what what would you um recommend to a newbie or to someone relatively new into kind of a managing a show position into operations? What advice could you give them to get the most out of out of their venue? Um first of all I'd say come to come to the relationship with an open mind because we genuinely have a passion for events and we, we want to see yours succeed. Um, befriend your event manager. I mean, certainly everyone in the team at Olympia would go above and beyond to support an, an ops person navigate their way through putting on an event at Olympia for the first time. So please don't hesitate to tell us if that's the case or ask as many questions as you need to. Um, you know, no one knows everything, but between us, we've probably seen most things. And I think there's real learning and progression in sharing those experiences. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it comes back, you know, our, one of our first conversational sessions with Adam Aston is about that relationship and and just kind of going, I don't, I don't know, you're the expert, can you help me? And get so much more out of everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And I think if you, I think if you only talk to the venue either when you have to or when there's a problem, that really sets the tone for that relationship, <laughs> subconsciously or otherwise. You know, and I'd I'd really like to challenge that. And as I say, just continue, try and continue those relationships year round rather than just in that condensed period in a run up to a show. 
Yeah. Right, we're going to take that little sentence that you said then, because that was spot on. I could stick it on a quote somewhere. Because, um, yeah, you're right. If all, if all you're doing is coming, coming um, with a problem, um, yeah, that's a difficult basis for that relationship to, to be positive. Um, yeah. Sometimes you, it's sometimes, like you say, the only thing you can say sometimes is no. Um, so. Well, hopefully we would always try and find a solution or caveat our no with the reasons behind it. Yeah, yeah. It's like being a parent, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think as well... Um, it's we want to we want to have discussions about how shows want to evolve and um, be part of that process and I feel that venues have the potential to add real value to those conversations so you know we've seen most things happen in our venue we've seen things that work things that don't work so tap into that knowledge and um, we're more than willing to share it with you I agree well, thank you very much for um, coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. Having a good old chat. I quite enjoyed that one. Thank you all so much uh, for joining us again. I hope it was good for you. And I look forward to seeing you next week.